Well, good stuff. If, uh, if we haven't met yet, if maybe you just started coming in the last few weeks, uh, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, thanks for being with us. If you're in the room or maybe watching online, uh, thanks for being here. And I want to just reiterate something that Josh mentioned here. Going into Holy Week especially, just want to make sure we're all tuned in because there's a lot of extra, super important, very exciting things happening. So make sure to dial into communion, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. That is a very important thing that we do as followers of Christ to remember Him. It's something that actually He commanded that Christ followers to do. And so we don't have that offered all the time here at Grace. When we do, we want to make sure we tune into it. And it's a powerful experience. If you've never been to communion before, I think uh, you will be altered kind of by it. And it's a, a kind of a powerful moment where we worship together and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. So tune into that all this week, kind of at the end, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you want to make sure uh, to take advantage of that. And then, of course, Easter, bring some friends, and we are going to kick off this initiative, and it is going to be a ton of fun. So you're going to want to get in on the beginning side of that, and uh, take some friends with you, and we'll have a blast doing that together. So, right, tie into those details, and uh, you'll be glad that you did. And then, of course, we've been in this series, our mixtape, Seven Songs We Fell in Love To, and uh, we're wrapping that up this weekend. That has been a ton of fun, kind of looking at the whole gamut of relationships from the very beginning with how do we get attracted to one another, how do we form kind of real love, and then how does that move into engagement and marriage, and what are the different kinds of love that we would experience in marriage. And so we looked at all of those things over the last bunch of weeks. And so if you're just jumping in with us, or maybe if you missed an individual conversation I would highly encourage you to catch up online. Uh, you can do that at graceohio.org, our website. Grab the app, download that. You can watch those or subscribe to our YouTube channel. And uh, you can watch those and all of our other teachings for free there. And especially if you're dating or married or kind of working on your marriage, uh, you'll want to make sure to definitely tie into all those teachings. What we want to do today is we kind of wrap up the whole conversation is we felt like it would be incomplete if we didn't have this final conversation about kind of the unique picture that's painted when marriage is firing the way that God's designed for it to fire. There's something about God's design in marriage and how it's actually supposed to function that, that when it's working the way he intended it to work, it actually creates a unique picture. It's both how we have great marriage and it's also how we illustrate God's love to the world and it's a pretty fascinating thing. And so we're gonna walk through that picture, kind of understand it a little bit more deeply and, uh, and see how that all plays out as we wrap up our time together. So if you're married, of course, this is gonna be directly applicable and you'll be able to make sense of it and kind of draw your applications from it. If you're not married, if you wanna be married one day, uh, what I would say is you can probably look at this picture and in a bunch of other relationships, you can begin to practice this kind of love. So in friendship, uh, in relationship with parents, uh, even coworkers, the stuff we're gonna talk about today, kind of much of it will apply broadly. And so you can draw applications that way if that's something that you're looking to do. And uh, of course, for those of us who are married, it's gonna click in at the highest level, right? But I think we'll all be able to take something away for sure. But let's dive into it. Let's look a little bit at the reality of husbands and wives and the, the reality that each of them are going to have a set of needs, right? As men and women, we talked about this earlier on in the series. We said, we're going to tend to have a set of needs, and those are going to be unique 
to men and women in general, right? In general, we tend to feel love just a little bit differently. We talked about this, how men in general tend to feel most loved when they are celebrated, when they're respected, when they're believed in, right? When that stuff is firing from the, the woman in my life, man, we're, we're on cloud nine, right? We, are, we feel like our needs are being met. We feel like we are doing what we're called to be doing and things are working the way they're supposed to. Wives, we said in general, women tend to feel loved when they are feeling valued, when they're feeling chosen, when they are being pursued, when the man in their life is making kind of deliberate action to put their attention and their affection on you, that makes you tend to feel loved, right? And you feel respected in that way, of course, as well. So we each are gonna have a set of needs. Those needs are real, they are legitimate, and they are valuable, there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, we also have a set of kind of wants and desires that we tend to go into marriage with, right? Most of us tend to go into marriage hoping to get something from it. It's just kind of the innate, it's how we are. We're human beings, we, we got married because we wanted to experience something together. Of course, we wanna give ourselves, we also wanna receive something in marriage. It just tends to be how it is. And I would say early on, especially as we go into marriage in the very beginning, we tend to bring expectations into the marriage. We tend to have a set of things that we kind of expect our spouse to know that we want and almost do them spontaneously like they can read our minds, right? It's fascinating how that works, but it tends to be what happens. At least it's what happened in our marriage. I remember Lori and I, we were coming up on 16 years of marriage and we were remembering back to our first kind of engagement time in the first years of marriage, right? That whole kind of season. And we were talking back about kind of the, the lack of reality that we had in engagement moving into marriage. Lori and I were saying this. She was saying, she said, honey, I, I really thought it was going to be kind of like a fairy tale. You know, I really had that picture in my mind. Like we were going to get married. And it was going to be amazing. And, and like all my dreams would come true. And right, we're going to get married and like leave on a magic carpet ride, right? And I was like, that didn't happen. I'm, I'm certainly not Aladdin, right? I don't even have hair. But like that, that's not going to happen, you know? And, and she's like, yeah, then, then we got married and it wasn't like that at all. Like you're not him and you just went to work and it was kind of normal life, but we had to figure out how to live with each other in our imperfection. That's the reality of it. You know, now me, on the other hand, I, I totally had it figured out. I had completely sane expectations going into marriage. I remember doing um, premarital counseling. This was great. We would fill out these workbooks and you would fill them out separately and answer all these questions about what you thought marriage was going to be like once you got married and you would go in not knowing the answers to the questions that the other one filled out until you answered in front of like the counselor, right? The premarital counselor. And so it was always pretty fascinating to do to hear what the other one came up with. And one of the questions, we got kind of deep into the counseling and the counselor was like, so in the book, it said, uh, how often do you expect to have sex once you're married, right? And we were waiting for marriage. So sex was a really important issue, right? In our lives. And so I wrote the number two, and, and, uh, and the counselor looked at me and said, hey, that, that's two times a week. That's totally reasonable, you know? And I stopped him. I said, no, like two times a day, right? <laughs> and he was like, we're going to need some extra sessions for you, buddy. <laughs> we got some work to do, right? So we tend to go into marriage and, and we're like, we got these crazy expectations and we have all these desires that we hope 
are met and we've got the needs that are actually real and legitimate and really do need to be addressed once we get down to the core of it. And here's what can tend to happen. In little ways, usually in the beginning of marriage, we'll tend to bring these needs or these wants into marriage and they end up being kind of small things. We'll kind of fight about them. We'll want things to happen a certain way. You leave the toilet seat up or you put it down. You put the toothpaste away and roll it up or you smash it, right? You, you go, we go to my parents' house on Christmas or we go to your parents' house on Christmas. And there tends to be a set of things that I want this to happen this way and you want it to happen that way. And we're like, how are we actually going to do this, right? And they start small, but then they continue to grow. I remember the things that Lori and I fought about a ton in the beginning was our time. We were always fighting about time, right? And I was, uh, I was a brand new follower of Jesus, and I was like so fired up, and I, and I thought I was super spiritual, you know, and so I always wanted to do church stuff, right? I was like, I'm going into ministry. I want to do church stuff. And Lori's like, how about we do church stuff sometimes? And then how about we like hang out with other people and do normal people things some other times too? Actually a valid concern, right? And I was like, honey, this is great stuff. I'm like, you're not spiritual enough. Ooh. He pulled the, you're not spiritual. You're like, you're such a jerk. And I was, right? I was like, yeah, honey, come on. Like, we got to do this for Jesus. It's going to be great. But really what it was all about is I wanted to do my own thing. And Lori had her own set of needs, right? She's like, well, why don't we hang out with some family and have some friends and go do some other recreational things that actually are perfectly legitimate and real and are valid parts of life that we need to enjoy. But I couldn't see it at the time. So what I tried to do, rather than communicating and looking at my wife and recognizing that her needs are real and legit and probably in a healthy, balanced way, I should engage those, I looked at her and tried to force her to come over and I, kind of out of fear, to come over and to meet me in my space and meet my needs and come do my thing and try to make it happen, right? Rather than communicating my heart to her and my, my, what was really going on, I tried to try, kind of manipulate or control because I started to panic and wonder, is Lori going to want to do the things that I want to do because I'm staring at my own needs? And here's what happens when we stare at our own needs and wants, they grow, Right? In our own mind, in our own life, that stuff grows and becomes the most important thing on the planet. This is why every once in a while, if you interact with a couple that's struggling in their marriage, what they're going to be consumed by always is what they want the other one to do for them. If he would just do that, if he would just not work so much, if he would just lead me spiritually, if he would just pray with me, if he would just not spend all his time out there with the golfing buddies, right? If he would just blah, blah. If she, if she would care about what I cared about, if she would sit down and actually watch a game with me, right? If she would, right, come along and support me, if she would stop talking about me to her friends in a negative way and actually make me feel loved and respected, and there's a fixation on what he or she should do for me, and there's a temptation to try to make that happen out of fear that I'm not going to have my needs met in this relationship. Right? Happens on small ways, can grow, and can become almost like World War III, a war zone in our marriage because we're fighting and pulling in alliances, pulling in mom or dad, pulling in a friend to get on my side about how you should do what or she should be what I want you to be. And this is how you get that kind of marriage that almost there's hostages held in, right? Now sex is being withheld. Now the credit card's being run up. 
Now I'm not coming home anymore because I don't feel respected at home, right? Now I'm not, we're fighting and nagging and, and we would all look at that marriage and say, gosh, nobody wanted that. Nobody wanted to be there. How did we get there? How did that happen? And this is the reason why as we glance back at marriage, right, and even in the context of this series, we've talked about this and said, nobody wants this escalation of war to happen as we make each other do what the other one wants to do out of manipulation, control, and fear. If we're married, we've all experienced this at some level. You might even be in kind of the full throttle war zone portion of marriage like this. And you might look at that and say, I know exactly what you're talking about. You kind of read my mail, man. This, this is happening in my life right now. If you're single or looking to date or you one day want to get married, you probably have seen marriages that operate like this and say, how do I not have this happen in my life? It's a question we're all asking. And this is what we've been saying in this series. And certainly this picture that we're going to look at in scripture is kind of the final word, so to say, on marriage and how it works and how to, how to really be rescued from this kind of approach where I'm fixated on what I want and want to make you join my agenda in it. So we're going to look at this. This is in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Ephesians 5.21. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from underneath the chairs there or you can open the app and kind of read along with us there in Ephesians 5. And even as we go to that scripture, that kind of that passage, we're going to look at a lot of verses at once. And so <clears throat> let me give you kind of the big picture of what's happening. The apostle Paul is going to be the one writing this teaching, and he's going to start it off with kind of an umbrella statement that covers this whole section, right? So here's what he's going to say. Ephesians 5.21, he's going to say, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that statement is going to cover over now all these different categories that Paul's going to teach to. So he's going to say, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to submit to each other out of your reverence for Jesus and your relationship with him. And then he's going to talk to wives. He's going to talk to husbands. He'll talk to fathers. He'll talk to children. He's going to talk to uh, kind of masters or slaves, which we would think of as bosses or employees. He's going to say, in all these categories, this is the covering kind of overarching statement I want you to have as you go into all this teaching. Key thing, right? And then he's going to talk directly to wives and husbands. And I need to say this here, right? Before you even hear this scripture read, if, if you don't have a church background, if you're like me, right, I have no church background at all, came to know Jesus at 19, I never heard the Bible taught until I was a young adult. If you're like me, especially if you're a female, stick with me here because you're going to hear some things that are probably going to grate against our society's message about women. But hear me, we're going to explain it and kind of draw it out. And especially if you have been in a spiritually abusive environment, uh, where women were controlled through these kinds of passages. Hear me, you, you got to take that interpretation and put it over here because it's not accurate and it's not the heart of what God was telling us as Paul wrote us this letter. That caveat being stated, let me read this passage. Here's what it says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He says, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for it just as Christ does the church. He says, for we are members of his body. Quoting Moses, he says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He wraps it up then with one last statement, kind of covering the section on husbands and wives. He says, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Loaded section of scripture, probably the most full teaching about marriage in the New Testament, certainly, probably in the whole of the Bible, in many ways, the most complete picture. And here's what Paul is telling us. He's saying this is how marriage is to work. It's how it's, it's, how it's to function. Women and men, husbands and wives, have a role to play in the marriage, and, and here's how they're to live that role out. Let's start with husbands. It's actually the easiest way to think about it. He's going to look at husbands, and Paul's going to say, husbands, your role is to play out and kind of play the role that Jesus played. What we mean by that is that we don't mean Jesus in the sense that he's God or that he's in charge of everything. We mean Jesus in his sacrificial laying down of his life and the willingness to surrender his rights as he leads and loves the church, okay? He says, husband, that's your job. Jesus would have all rights and authority. He had all kinds of power and ability. And what he chose to do instead of flex that power and ability is he laid down his life. He's saying, husband, that's what I want you to do. I, I, you would look at your life and say, yeah, if, if I didn't have a wife, if I didn't have a family, what kind of money would I have to be able to spend on whatever I wanted to spend it on? Do you, do you have a right... He said, lay that down and invest that in your family. How much time and attention would you have if you weren't attend connected to this family? Like Jesus, lay down those rights and focus that on your family. Husbands are called to live a sacrificial life just like Jesus laid down his life for the sake of the church. And ladies, this is where your role comes in. Paul would look at you and say, here's your job, ladies, in marriage, is you are to submit the best of yourself. This is the idea of submission, is to present or to offer yourself completely to your husband, to submit and give yourself. The idea is not nearly, right, the, the whole pound your fist and do what I say, wife, because, right, you submit to me, the Bible says, is garbage. The heart of it is this, Jesus is the head of the church. He's called to be sacrificial. Wives are called to follow the lead of their husband and to offer their very best to make that leadership successful, right? We, we tend to think that, that a marriage can have two heads. The reality is that anything with two heads is a monster, right? It's not how it works. Somebody has to be the stated leader in that relationship, and God has ordained it to be the guy. Now, men, we just talked about this. We're called to not use that leadership to get whatever we want and to make life as perfect as we want it to be or to accomplish our own goals or needs. We're called to do that to take care of our wives, 
for the best interest of our bride. So these are the distinct roles that men and women play. And as Christ lays down his life for his church and the church responds to Christ, that's to be the relationship that husbands and wives have with one another. Now, you gotta catch this part because it's critical. Before this all works, before we can begin to fire up and begin to take care of each other, we have to go back and focus on the first thing, which is husbands and wives are called the first, please Christ. Right, we gotta go back to this verse. Right, as, as we start to fire up and look at meeting each other's needs, considering your needs more important than my own, this cycle can begin, but here's where I need to start it. I need to go back to this verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is huge. This is huge. Because here's how this is going to work. This is a faith-based way to approach marriage. Right? If this is fear-based, and I gotta meet my own needs, and I gotta make sure that you come over here and do what I want you to do for me. This is the complete opposite. It is based on faith. As I look at Christ and look at what he's called me to do, and here's how this can work, because all of us panic a little bit, right? When we look and say, wait a minute, if I take my eyes off of what I need and meet your needs, or if I take my eyes off of what I need and meet your needs, who's gonna meet mine then? Or you might even say, I've tried this before, right? I tried to be sacrificial. I tried to be the sacrificial husband and, and lay down my life for my wife. But guess what? She didn't follow me. Or you might be a wife and said, hey, I, I tried to follow his lead and he's still selfish. But here's the reality. Before we respond to one another, we need to look first and respond to Christ. As a husband, I look at Jesus and recognize that my job is to be like Jesus in my marriage no matter how my wife responds. No matter what. You're saying, so, so if she doesn't follow me, I need to keep laying down my life and just keep leading her? Yep, that's what you're called to do. And ladies, same thing. You're going to look to Christ and say, I am, I am to lay down my life and continue to offer my very best to my husband, even if he's selfish? Right. Because you're not responding to him. His response back to you is not the driver for your reaction. The driver for your response is Jesus. Here's the reality. I'd say it this way, right? Often in marriage, it's not a me and you problem. It's a me and Jesus problem. When I look at a marriage and what's coming out of my mind or out of my, off my tongue is if they would just do this or if I could just fix them or change them or make them or I'm so frustrated, the reality is this. I need to first take my eyes off of what's happening in that marriage and ask the question, Jesus, am I living out the role that you have called me to play faithfully and completely? Because no matter how they respond, I am called to, to act a certain way. No matter if they follow the lead or they lay down their lives or not, I'm responsible to Jesus. I might go so far as to point this out. Nowhere in the Bible does God implore you or call you or plead with you to make sure that you get your needs met in your marriage. Nowhere in the Bible does God say you need to control or change or make sure your spouse does what you want them to do in order to make you happy, right? 
Nowhere is that going to play out. Here's what's going to play out. God is going to be crystal clear in saying what you need to do is focus on the needs that your spouse has. You need to focus on meeting those needs. And as you care about those more and more and more, you can trust me with the rest. Trust me with the outcome. And as we begin to serve out of faith in Christ, not even each other, we begin to serve in faith, this can begin to fire as we actually take care of one another in responding to Jesus first. And some of you are thinking people, and you, you might say, well, do we really even need to have Christ in the equation? Why can't we just serve each other? Great question. I would tell you no. Because that ends up being just another subtle form of manipulation of I want to be nice to you so that you will do something back for me. If it's on to Jesus first and it's out of faith in Christ and what he's done for me first as I live out my role as a wife or a husband, it's a faith act. I look to Jesus and I trust him because I trust he is going to work in the heart of my wife or the heart of my husband and I can trust that he's going to have my needs met. doesn't mean that we never communicate what's going on in our hearts. Certainly we're going to do that. But rather than acting in fear and trying to fight for control, I want to live a life of faith and see that begin to fire in the way that Christ would have it fire. Here's what starts to happen. When this is playing out, when a husband looks and says, I'm going to throw my energy at meeting my, my wife's dreams. She has a passion to, to see our spiritual life grow. She wants to go to counseling. She wants me to invest in the kids. I'm doing it. When, when a wife looks and says, I'm going to celebrate my husband. I see what he cares about. I'm going to come alongside him. I'm going to celebrate him even if he's imperfect. I'm going to stare at his strengths even though he has weaknesses. When that begins to happen back and forth, what happens is it starts to create a culture of trust and service that is unbelievable and it starts to build momentum on itself and it starts to be unbelievable. Here's what I would tell you. Like I mentioned almost 16 years being married. The first handful of years of my marriage, this was not happening. I would tell you, I, I was absolutely freaked out to do this. Here's why. I, I grew up assuming that if I'm going to have my needs met, I need to go make that happen. Like, I, I need to go cause that to happen somewhere. And that if I need to trust somebody, at the end of the day, I need to trust me. So it took me a while, right? Even going into marriage, I intellectually believed it because I, th I thought, boy, if you can build your life around Jesus, I think this whole thing can make sense. But I didn't know how it was going to work and it felt unbelievably awkward and it felt crazy scary to say, you know what? I'm just going to trust God with my needs and I'm going to meet Lori's needs. I'm going to care about things that she cares about even though they don't seem as important to me. And, and I watched my wife start to do that. It took us a handful of years to even get that cycle moving. I remember the, the first year of our marriage, I remember talking to Pastor Ezra. He was leading our college ministry and we were married young, you know, and I remember talking to him. I remember crying, saying, Ez, I don't know how to do this, man. I'm scared. Is this gonna work? Like, 
How do, we, how do we undo what we've done, you know, in hurting each other? I, I believe that we can have a good marriage. I just literally don't even know how to do it. And I remember praying that prayer. I just wrote this in my journal the other day. So now looking back, it was probably six or seven um, years after we got married that Lori and I started to realize, we looked at each other and said, hey, like, when did... When did this get easier? When, when did this start to become more natural? Hey, wait a minute. This isn't like as hard as it used to be. It felt like running through concrete in the beginning. But now I started to trust her relationship with Christ and she started to trust mine and we started to be able to trust each other to the point where we could look at each other's needs and our each other's wants in life and meeting those needs started and is starting to bring us more joy than even having our own met. It's not that it's not, per, right, it's never going to be perfect, but it's possible that we could start to experience what Jesus said when he said it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we're like, this is crazy. This thing actually works. It's working like an investment that you just throw energy to and you don't see any returns, but sometime it starts to pop. And it started to pop for us, right? And, and man, I, can't, I cannot even tell you, the marriage that I get to have now, again, do we fight? Sure. But at the end of the day, we love each other like crazy and there's no one I would rather be with. And let me tell you, that is an absolute gift from God. I begged him for that. And he gave that to me. And he wants to give everyone that who would say, I want to please Christ first and I'm in this marriage and I want to go all in. It's fascinating. What I would tell you is nothing in my life is changing me more than my relationship with my wife in marriage. Nothing's making me more like Jesus than trying to figure out how to love my wife. And I watch it happen in her life as she tries to respond to Christ as she loves me. It's altering us. It's changing us. It's teaching me that, that truly it is more blessed to give than receive. And in a world where the message, the predominant message is, listen, if your marriage isn't working, just get out of it. You're not happy? You, you deserve more. You deserve better. You get yours. In a world where selfishness in marriage and in life is the, the thundering message, how refreshing to look and to hear and to see the message of Jesus quietly calling us, beckoning us to a life of service and sacrifice and submission and to see the power of God in a relationship that's oh, amazing. It's amazing. You say, Ryan, what, what do we do with this whole thing? Right? Big conversation. Big, it's a big picture. Here's what I would say. Right? If you have been here, or you are here, and this is ugly, today, you can switch your mode of operation from fear to faith. And you can switch your mode of operation from selfishness to service. 
Somebody told me last night when we were talking about this, they said, I remember when the lights came on for me. It just clicked one day that ultimately who I'm responding to is Jesus. Right? First and foremost, my marriage problem isn't a marriage problem, it's a, it's a me and Jesus problem. And it starts there. To say, you know what, I, I'm gonna trust you, Christ, to work in the life of my spouse. And I'm gonna do what you've asked me to do, which is to be the husband or the wife you call me to be. If you are here, would you take that first step and say, you know what, I'm gonna do it different. We're gonna get up and try again. Because if you're a follower of Jesus today, or if you wanna be, and you're married to a follower of Jesus, or they wanna become one, and you're both all in on this, there is literally nothing standing in your way from having a great marriage. It is absolutely possible. If, if you haven't broken the marriage covenant, sometimes even if you have, God can work in such a way where he breathes new life out of death and can revive your marriage and put the joy and the energy and the passion and the trust right back into it. But I got to kind of lay down my arms and surrender and say, all right, I'm done. I'm done trying to control it. I'm not going to try to manipulate you or change you or run from you or stonewall you. I will make a conscious decision out of my reverence for Christ to love you. Can I start there? And if you would look and say, I know we need to keep the conversation going, Ryan. This series has been great, but we need more help. Or we want to take it to the next level. Or we've been working hard. What do we do now? March out of this room after this service and go sign up for that Be Clear event. It's there. <laughs> It'll help. It might be the first act of doing what the other one asked you to do. Right? Go jump into it. Go deeper. Go farther with it. Now, if you're single... And you would look and you'd say, I, I want to be married someday, Ryan. I, I dream of having this someday. I'm not there. I'm not dating. I, I, what do I do? I would look at you and say, boy, we can practice this kind of love now. We practice it in small ways. Friendship with our parents to serve and submit and to sacrifice and take Take the focus of my life off of my needs and put them onto the needs of someone else is the starting point for great marriage. That can happen at work and that can happen at school and that can happen in friendship. It's just a decision, right? It's just a thing to start to do and to practice. And for all of us, right, no matter where I am, if I'm married, if I'm a husband or wife, if my, if my marriage is great, if it's struggling, if I'm single, if I'm divorced, if I'm widowed, if I would look and say, I can't wait I'm desperate to meet the person God has put in my life. Or I would say, God, I, I don't want anything to do with marriage. The response for all of us as we wrap up this conversation is to go back and remember Christ. To stare at his sacrifice again. Right? Because out of reverence for Christ that we serve each other. Not out of hoping I get what I want or manipulating you or fighting for my own way. It's when I look to Jesus. So here's the thing. 
Jesus is the one who laid down his life for his church. He sacrificed. Ladies, Jesus is the one who submitted. He looked at the Father and said, not my will, but yours be done. He's the perfect model for us. Here's the thing. This week, show up to communion. It takes energy and time and investment and focus to remember our Savior and the sacrifice that he gave for us. That he would lay down his life for people who didn't deserve it and couldn't earn it. See, see, Jesus didn't look and say, boy, if you get your act together, I'll love you and sacrifice for you. He looked at humanity, you and I, and said, before you did anything wrong or right, before you did anything at all, I laid down my life for you out of absolute passion for you. That's the, that's the love of a savior. That's the picture of marriage. Jesus laid down his life and his bride responded. The beauty and the unity of what that creates is unbelievable. This week, can we jump in on that? And if you want to be married and you want to have a marriage like this, here's what ultimately will happen. The world will be able to look at your marriage and and will stare at that and will wonder, where did that come from? How did you get that? We can look back and say, it's not because I was lucky. It's not because I found my one out of seven billion people who's my perfect match. It's because two broken people who love Jesus more than we love each other try to do marriage God's way. That's what it's all about. Band's gonna come out as we sing and worship. Can we focus our hearts and minds back on Christ? His sacrifice, his passion for us today. Let me pray for us. Father, we are blown away uh, that you provide a way of escape from our selfishness. God, I, just, I confess that I am a man who's still selfish. How do you know I still want my needs met? Lord, thank you that you're continuing to teach me and show me and change me and I'm beginning to be convinced more and more that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. God, would you help us with this? Help us to respond not to each other first, but to you. To look to your sacrifice, Jesus that you lay down your life for us, that we might in practical and real ways in everyday life lay down our lives for the people around us. God, speak to our hearts right now. Help us to see ways that you're calling us to do that even now as we become blown away by your love and your passion in our lives.